Today I'm continuing to talk about what I've entitled Christian philosophy, a Christian system of thought, way of thinking. I was using as a foundation of this Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, and it says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And I was sharing that the way Satan comes against us is through the way we think. Now that's different. That's a different philosophy than most people have. Most people think that Satan is just a spiritual being that somehow or another can overpower them and make them do things. For instance, an addict will often think that I can't control this. You can control that. You can totally control yourself by the way you think. Now, I admit that when you are addicted to something like a drug or alcohol, that you've also got a physical addiction, but your mind can overcome that. If you will accept the responsibility and say, for a brief period of time, I may have to go through withdrawals, I may have to do this, but I can beat this thing. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. If you have that basic philosophy, then you can work through that thing and come through it, and you can be totally delivered. But see, our world system today doesn't basically believe that. Even some Christian approaches towards it, like some of the uh, self-help groups that help you overcome alcoholism or drug addiction, they will start their their meetings by saying, you know, my name is, and then they'll say, I've been an alcoholic for 20 years, and I've been sober for three. But they, they have a philosophy that you are just one drink away from being an alcoholic again one injection away from being a drug addict again. They don't ever see you as being changed. But see, Christianity comes along and has a different philosophy. You can be totally changed. 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. You can be a totally transformed person. And I've literally known some people who told me about their lifestyle before they came to the Lord, and they are so transformed, so totally changed, that I just couldn't believe it until they showed me pictures and gave me some type of proof. It was like their life was so totally different. See, the Lord can completely change you. And even though you have been an alcoholic or a drug addict or a sexual addict or whatever your problem has been, the world has a philosophy that you're always that. You're just a recovering alcoholic or a recovering drug addict. But no, Jesus can totally, totally, totally change you. You know, I had a email uh, recently from a man, and you know, I have to take these things with a grain of salt because I can't verify this, but this guy's written into us a number of times, and he's originally from India. He's now on a cruise ship, I believe it is. But this man said that he's done everything that you could imagine. He was just into Satanism, said he was a cannibal. He did. I don't know if all these things are true, but he was just giving me a testimony. And anyway, his testimony is that he is just totally transformed. He's not anything like what he used to be. He's leading people to the Lord. He doesn't have any of the depression, the discouragement. Now again, see, that's a different philosophy than this world has. The world doesn't believe you can ever totally recover from anything, but that is not consistent with Scripture. Let me go back again to uh, Genesis chapter 3 and show you some more things from this first temptation 
that came against mankind, when Satan came against Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And the point that I made was that Satan didn't come with some physically overpowering animal and just force Eve to doing what he wanted them to do because he couldn't do that. He didn't have the authority and the power to do that. Instead, what he did was come with words and he began to affect the way Eve thought. That's the way that he tempted Adam and Eve and that's the way that he tempts you and me. He doesn't force us. He doesn't overpower us. The devil's never made anybody do anything. What he does is come with words and with thoughts. And you know, this is the reason that I'm so strong preaching against most of the stuff that's on television, a tremendous amount of newspapers, magazines, articles, all of these kind of things. They just have so many ungodly thoughts in it. And people will listen to those things and read the magazines and do all of this and think, well, they're just words. Words are powerful. Words affect your thoughts on the inside. And if Satan can get in your thoughts, he can destroy you. And that's what he did with Adam and Eve. He didn't come with an animal that overpowered them, but he came with words. And look at this in in, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The first thing that this serpent said, He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now, this is subtle, and some people may miss the point that I'm making, but this is a major, major point. Man, you know, put your antenna up, listen, get hold of this, because this will transform your life. Satan, before he could get Eve to buy into his lies and to commit this sin and this treason against God, he first of all came against what God had said. He had to counter... God's words. Because if Eve would have just held to what God had said and said, wait, what you're telling me is contrary to what God has said, therefore forget you, I'm not listening to you, I will not respond to this. If that would have been her approach, Satan literally would have had no foothold, no way to come against Eve. But he came against the words of God and Eve began to debate whether what God had said was accurate or not. You know what? Anytime somebody begins to question God's Word, whether it's somebody or some circumstance or obvious, uh, you know, sometimes circumstances will talk to you and say it's obvious that God's Word isn't true. Anytime anything ever begins to come against God's Word, that should be the end of your thought process right there. You should not entertain it. You should never go against God's Word. If Eve would have just said, you are challenging God's word, I refuse to discuss this or to think about it, end of discussion, that would have been it. But Satan, first of all, had to attack God's word before he could get Eve to buy into his lies and into his deception and ultimately to disobey God by her actions. And you know, it's the exact same thing with every one of us. If you were to just put God's Word first and foremost in your life, it would literally stop sin. It would stop failure dead in its tracks. Let me see if I can find this passage of Scripture over in Psalms 119. I believe it's around verse 11 or 12. Verse 11, it says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. 
This scripture says very clearly that if God's word is hidden in your heart, that means deep within your heart, it will keep you from sinning. You know, God's word and sin are just opposite forces. God's word contains his life, his power in it. And when you are establishing and basing your life on God's word, it will just literally stop sin in your life. Satan will lose an inroad into your life. If you were to dominate your thinking and your emotions by the Word of God, it would stop sin. And Satan knew this. This is the reason that the very first thing Satan did when he came against Adam and Eve was to come against the Word of God. Now, if what I'm saying here is true, which it is, And if the Word of God is our number one line of defense against failure, sin, in any area of our life, then that is one reason why we are seeing so many people destroyed by sin. Even Christians are being destroyed by sin and failure is coming in their life because the average Christian does not have their life firmly rooted in the Word of God. The average Christian, if they are truly born again, loves God and desires to do the right thing but just doesn't understand the importance of God's Word and they literally are spending more time in front of the television set than they are studying the Word. They're literally spending more time at work, reading magazines, doing anything than they are studying the Word of God and they can't understand why they're being beaten. I tell you, God's Word is a front line, the first line of defense against Satan and against the sin that he wants to entrap you in. If you will hide God's word in your heart, it will keep you from sinning against God. God gave his word to us to influence our thinking, thereby influence our choices, which controls our actions, our circumstances, and all of the results that we get. The bottom line of everything is, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And I tell you, apart from God's Word, apart from the revelation that God has given us in His Word, your thinking is going to be wrong. If you let circumstances and your own thoughts, if you just come up with your own conclusions and you decide everything on your own, I guarantee you, you are going to be beat by the devil. You are going to lose big time. God's Word has to be the foundation of of everything that goes on in our life. And I already use this scripture, Psalms 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It also says in verse 9, just a couple of verses up, Psalms 119, verse 9, it says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereunto according to thy word. If you want to cleanse your way, if you want to get different results, if you want to get out of the rut and the mess that you've made of your life, you take God's Word and that will change you. Let me use just a couple of other scriptures on the importance of God's Word. Out of Psalms chapter 19, in verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is simply referring to the Word of God. It's perfect. It didn't mean that it's just good, it's better than some other books. No, there is a unique difference between the true Word of God and any other book, any other movie, any other truth, any other thing that you could ever compare it to. God's Word is perfect and in comparison everything else is flawed and incomplete. 
There is nothing that should be put on the same level, the same par as the Word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. This word converting here, if you look it up in the Hebrew, it means to restore to an original condition. If you want your soul restored to where God intended it to be, back to where you had an innocent, sincere, pure relationship with God, if something has happened, if you've sinned or something has been done to you and you became bitter and your soul has been wounded and corrupted, most people just limp through life thinking, well, there's nothing I can do. This is just now a part of my experience and I'm going to have to limp all the rest of my life with this problem. But no, the Word of God can convert, restore back to an original condition your soul. And not only talking on an individual basis, but you know what? This is for you as a, as a part of mankind. When you were born, even though you may have been born you know, as a child and you were relatively innocent and pure, all of us were born in sin and infinitely lower than what God intended the original man, Adam, to be. If you want to go back and recover that purity and that relationship with God, the sincerity that God intended for us to have, the Word of God will do that. It will convert your soul. It goes on to say in Psalms chapter 19, verse 7, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Man, how important is that? You know the word simple here. We use the word simple in a number of different ways. This is talking about a person who is stupid, dumb, retarded is what this is talking about. And did you know what? The Word of God will make you wise. There's a scripture, I believe it's in Psalms 119. It says, I have more wisdom than all of my teachers because your word is my daily delight. Something to that effect. And it's true that you can be wiser than anybody. You know, again, I'm not trying to present myself as being a perfect example, but I can tell you I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'm not an intellectual giant, as I'm sure most of you are aware of. But you know what? Because I have put God's Word first place in my life, God has promoted me, blessed me. I've done things in this ministry that I look back and I just I shake my head about, God, it had to be you. It had to be the blessing of God. I didn't consciously sit down and out of my own mind decide I'm going to do certain things. I was just seeking God and listening to God. And because I was putting God's Word in my heart, God has just given me wisdom and things have worked so much better than they could have. I hear people often say, I wished I could go back and do this over. I wished I could go back and live the next last 30 years of my life over. Boy, not me. I feel blessed, 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 blessed. I guarantee you, if I look back at my life and the hardships and the things that I've come through, I could have done it a million times worse than what I did. I am blessed, and it's not because of me per se. It's because of God's Word. God's Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's Word has given me direction, and it has caused me to prosper, even to the point I've seen my own son raised from the dead. And I guarantee you, it's not because of my great wisdom and ability. It's just because of the Word of God and the faith that that created in my heart. Uh, Over in the book of Proverbs, if you read the first chapter of Proverbs, it says that the reason the Proverbs was written was to give wisdom unto the simple and understanding unto him that has no understanding. If we would take the Word of God, the book of uh, Proverbs, 
just tremendous practical wisdom that would work in business, that would work in relationships. It would work in decision-making. It would just solve all of the problems that we've got. But people aren't taking the Word of God and basing their life on it. People, in a sense, are going through life basically trying to understand and discover truth for themselves, ignoring all of the wisdom that's imparted in God's Word. Man, that's just stupid. Excuse me for being so blunt, but that is absolutely stupid to ignore the Word of God. I tell you, God's Word, if we would put it in our life, it would keep us from sinning. Going back to Genesis chapter 3, if Eve would have said, hey, if you're challenging God's Word, there can be nothing good coming out of this because God's Word is absolute, it is perfect, it is pure. See, we can't really fault Eve too much because Eve didn't have the Scriptures that we have. Eve didn't have the benefit of knowing that Satan was out to destroy her. Eve didn't have the benefit of knowing what the result of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was. She was in innocence and in ignorance. And we can fault her to some degree, but in a real sense, we are infinitely more accountable to God than what Eve is. Because we can't claim that we don't know that we're in a war. That we have an enemy, the devil, who goes about seeking to destroy us. We can't claim ignorance. We've seen the effects of people making wrong decisions every single day, and therefore we should be more on guard. We should be more committed to the Word of God. We should recognize that this is our lifeline from God, that this is what teaches us right from wrong, that God's Word is given to protect us and to help us. We can't claim ignorance the way that Eve could. Therefore, we're more accountable And yet, brothers and sisters, I'm not saying this to hurt any of you, but I'm saying it to enlighten us and to help us. But in practice, very few people spend much time in the Word of God. Very few people know what the Word of God says. Very few people are rightly able to divide the Word of God. They basically depend upon some preacher. There's probably some of you right now that this is basically your Bible study. You are taking what I have digested and am giving unto you, and you're trying to live off of my revelation. And I'm not trying to fault you. I'm saying that's better than not even paying any attention to it. But it's not going to really change your life until it gets to where you not only say you believe God's Word is true, but you are going to have to spend time in the Word of God. You're going to have to get to where you just can't say, well, I know that the Bible says somewhere... You're going to have to be familiar enough with it that you can turn over there and find it and review it and go back over it and meditate in it until it becomes a part of you. You know, Adam and Eve had a word from God. God had been speaking to them every day. He had been conversing with them, which was His word. And every word of God is sure. It's steadfast. It doesn't change. It has life in it. The Lord created the heavens and the earth by His words. Those same words that created creation, those same words were spoken to Adam and Eve and gave them promises, told them what was right and what was wrong. But you know what? They allowed a talking snake to talk them out of their firm conviction that God's word was true. They allowed this snake to begin to start impugning God's word and saying that's not really true. What he said isn't really true. And I can guarantee you, if you're struggling in your life, you have had this same process go on in your life. Satan somewhere has talked you out of the Word of God. You might in your mind still be saying, Oh, I believe God's Word is infallible. 
but he's talked you out of dwelling in it, meditating in it day and night, like it says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. He's got you occupied doing something else. Some way or another, God's Word isn't dominant in your life. If God's Word was dominating your life, controlling your thoughts, influencing every decision that you make, you would make the right decision. You would prosper, just like it says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. That verse says that this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. God's Word promises us prosperity and success when we meditate in it day and night. If you aren't having good success and prosperity, then you aren't meditating in it day and night. You have gotten consumed, occupied with something else. God's Word is the door through which Satan has to somehow or another get you to crack that open, to get away from God's Word, to be able to gain an entrance into your life. If you keep the Word of God first and foremost, Satan has no access. When Satan came against Adam and Eve, the very first thing he did, he got an animal who was sly, deceptive, cunning, Instead of an animal that could overpower Adam and Eve, he came with words and began to speak to them. And the very first thing he did in Genesis 3.1, he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Satan attacked the word of God. And the reason is because God's word is like a fortress. If we were to live inside of God's Word, and if God's Word literally garrisoned about, encompassed every thought, every action, every choice that we make was dependent upon God's Word. If God's Word was our foundation, it would be like a fortress round about us that would keep Satan from ever penetrating. Satan cannot get at you unless you get outside of God's Word. Unless you are out there on your own evaluating things, trying to decide, do I want to do this and do I want to do this? You know, I don't know how to get these concepts across to you. I'm going to say some things here that are very different to the uh, popular philosophy that is not only in our secular world but even in our church today. But you know what? When I got really turned on to the Lord, I got born again when I was eight years old, and to a very large degree, I submitted myself to the Word of God then. I began to start studying the Word. I read the Bible every day of my life from the time I was eight years old. Actually, before I was even born again, I read the Bible. And, of course, I was taught the Bible and I embraced the Bible and, and in uh, principle agreed that it was true. But then on March the 23rd, 1968, where I really had my encounter with the Lord, I mean the Word of God became paramount in my life. It became the number one dominant influence in my life. And I began to devour the Word of God constantly. I mean, spending as much as 12 to 16 hours a day reading the Bible. Now, I'm aware that not all of you can or even should read the Bible 16 hours a day because you got a family and a job and things. But I was in a place in my life where I could... And I mean for a long period of time. I would study 12 to 16 hours a day devouring the Word of God. And it just literally changed my life. And my philosophy, my outlook, my entire worldview, if you want to call it a paradigm or whatever, 
it began to change. All of my values began to change. Now, I had given a tentative, or I don't know if that's the proper word, I had given a, uh, you know, a nod to the Word of God that it was true, but it wasn't embraced and loved by me up until that time. And when I began to make God's Word number one in my life, my life just radically changed overnight. And I believe that this is the way it is with everybody. Again, going back to Adam and Eve, Satan, before he could do anything, had to challenge God's Word. And I believe it's the same thing with us. If we were to literally let God's Word become a fortress that just encompassed everything that we do, Satan wouldn't be able to get to us. But it's when we get out there on our own and start leaning into our own understanding, that's when Satan is able to defeat us. Satan is sly and cunning. He's smarter than you are. And if you are going to have a battle of wits with him, you're going to lose every time. But if you would just make a decision that God's Word is absolute authority in my life and whatever God tells me to do, I'm going to do it, I guarantee you it would change your life. Now, I know that what I'm saying here is so simple that many people are just going to pass over and think, well, I know all that. But you know what? Again, if you're being defeated in some area, if Satan is beating you, if you're seeing areas of your life where you aren't prospering, I can guarantee it's because God's Word hasn't dominated you in that area of your life. God's Word will make you have good success. It will cause you to prosper. Over in Psalms chapter 1, let me just read a few of these verses to you. It's talking about a man who meditates in the Word day and night. But in Psalms chapter 1, it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Now again, the law technically refers to the first five books of the Bible, but I believe that now that we have a complete Bible, this isn't limited to only the first five books. This is just talking about the Word of God, the entire revelation given to us in the Bible. And if you meditate in it, Day and night, verse 3 says that you shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. This is a tremendous passage of Scripture. If the Word of God was our delight, if we meditated in it day and night, we would be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That means while a drought is going on, the very last place that's going to dry up is the river. If you're away from the river, you might see plants and trees begin to die, but those planted by the river are going to have sustenance when no, no other uh, vegetation does. And if you are in the Word of God, you are going to be satisfied and fed while the rest of the world is starving and operating in fear and hatred and worrying about other things. You'll be sustained because your roots are right there and you're tapping in to the life that's in the Word of God. It says, you will bring forth your fruit in your season. Your leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. If you are in the Word of God, it causes you to prosper. You will have good success. Again, I know this is simple, but it's profound. If you aren't prospering, if you aren't having good success, it's because you aren't meditating in the Word of God day and night. God's Word will keep Satan from coming in and being able to steal, kill, and to destroy. 
God's Word will warn you and tell you of things to come. God's Word will give wisdom to you so that you don't make some of the dumb, stupid mistakes that we do. Without the Word of God, we're very similar to a person who's blindfolded or a person who's blind, and yet you're going through life. It's just a matter of time until you fall over a cliff or you fall over something in your way or you get hit by a car or something happens. I guarantee you, a person who is not depending on the Word of God and is leaning under their own understanding is a mess waiting to happen. You are a disaster that's just bound to happen. And sad to say, that's descriptive of most people's lives. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying it to encourage you. If Adam and Eve would have kept hold of the Word of God and say, I refuse to entertain thoughts contrary to what God's Word says. God's Word is like a fortress round about me. I'm not coming outside of it. I'm not going past what the Word of God says. God said, don't eat of this tree. That's good enough for me. I don't have to know all the reasons why. I'm just standing on what God's Word said. If they would have had that attitude, end of temptation, end of this, Adam and Eve never would have sinned. The human race wouldn't have been plunged into the problems that we've got today. You know, basically, the sin that is in the world, our own sin, our own death and destruction and all of the tragedy and everything that we see comes from the fact that our original parents did not stand on the Word of God. They begin to compromise. They listened to somebody who was countering and speaking against God's Word, and that's where it all began. And the same thing is still happening today. If you're having problems, it's because you're allowing someone to move you off of the Word of God. If that's the case with you, I encourage you not to let anything else happen until you start getting in God's Word and learning it. You need to put a priority on God's Word. If you already have revelation from God's Word and truth, then you need to start giving a priority to it and recognize that you aren't going to do something contrary to God's Word. Now, again, we've got a philosophy in our world today that is actually coming against the Word of God and saying you can't trust the Word of God. The Word of God is outdated. It's antiquated. It doesn't work in our modern-day society. You know, I'm reminded of uh, President Bill Clinton. I hate to use his name, but it's going to be very obvious who I'm talking about, so I might as well just say it. I'm not against the guy. But, you know, he claimed to be born again. And he even used the term born again to counter some of his critics, and he talked about this. And yet, his actions were not consistent with being born again. Now, I'm not his judge. I'm not going to say that he was or wasn't. But I'm saying that, you know, if something uh, barks like a dog and walks like a dog and wags its tail like a dog, chances are it's a dog. Amen. (laughs) You can tell a lot about a person by their actions. His actions were inconsistent with being a Christian. And because of that, he actually had a newspaper person one time ask him a question and say, you claim to be born again, and yet your actions, specifically he was talking about his affair with Monica Lewinsky, the oral sex and the other sexual misconduct that he did, says your actions are inconsistent with what the Bible teaches. And you know how Bill Clinton responded to that? He says the Bible is just a, you know, it's old, it's outdated. Those principles don't apply to us today. He still was saying, quote, unquote, it's the Word of God. But he was saying basically that its principles don't apply to us today. And that's the way he was able to say that you have to interpret things in the light of who we, what we have today. In a sense, that's what Satan came to Adam and Eve with. 
says, did God really say this? And she said, yes, he really said this. And he says, well, it doesn't really mean that. It doesn't really apply to us. Here's what God really meant. Here's the situation. And basically, he began to counter the Word of God. I tell you, you've got to get to a place where you believe that God's Word is applicable for us today, that it works for us today. The Word of God is more up-to-date than your local newspaper or your television broadcast. I guarantee you, they aren't just reporting the news, they're making the news. They are saying things and trying to influence people, but the Word of God has all of these things established thousands of years ago. The prophecies in the Word of God are coming to pass today. It's a more accurate representation and way of understanding what's going on than looking in the newspaper. The Word of God is not outdated. It is for us today. And see, the reason... Let me, let me share another truth with you. I think this is really significant. I believe the reason that Satan came against Eve instead of against Adam was because God's Word wasn't first person to Eve. It wasn't personal to Eve. Here's what I mean by that. Over in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, talking about Adam, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now that was given to Adam. And then in the next verse, verse 18, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him him and a help meet for him and then it begins to relate how that God formed Eve and brought her to Adam. The point that I'm making is that the command, the word of God was to Adam not to eat of the tree. God didn't speak that directly to Eve. He spoke it to Adam and Eve heard about it through Adam. So it was actually secondhand information to Eve. And therefore anybody who has something secondhand there is the possibility that maybe the person who told you about it didn't report it exactly accurate. Maybe they embellished it. Maybe they overstated it, understated it. There's a question mark anytime you get something through another person. Now see, there's some people who look at the Word of God and they think that yes, God spoke and that the Bible is a representation, but since it came through other people and since it's been translated, there's people that don't believe you can actually count on the Bible uh, to be infallible. They believe that there's all kinds of mistakes in it and stuff like this. And so because of it, they just believe it's kind of a representation of what God says, but it's not to be counted upon. Again, if I had more time... I could spend weeks and weeks and weeks going through individual things that I've heard people criticize and I believe I could validate and show that God's Word is accurate. For instance, the book of Galatians is based on one letter of a word that God made this promise to Abraham and his seed, singular. This is a quotation from Genesis chapter 15 instead of seeds, plural. And from that, it's showing that Jesus is the one who was prophesied and spoken about. And through Jesus, we all have a relationship. It's not talking about seeds, plural, as in 
just physical descendants, but a singular one, Jesus. Now, if the Bible can be that accurate to where it even goes down to a single letter of a word, that is a tremendous verification of the accuracy of Scripture. It is not just a vague representation. It can be counted on even down to the dotting of an I, the crossing of a T, or the plurality of a word. God's Word is infallible. It says that it was given by the inspiration of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, I believe it's verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that's talking about that it's literally God-breathed. Over in Peter, he said the same thing. That holy man of God spoke as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. This isn't just man writing about God. This is God supernaturally inspiring men. And they wrote as they were led by God. And the Word of God is absolutely infallible. Now, I know that some people are going to say, well, but it's been translated and there are mistakes in it. You know what? Those mistakes that I've heard people point out are so minuscule that it's, again, a person has already a philosophy that you can't trust the Word of God and they're just trying to find individual things to prove it. If you take the Word of God and study it, the Word of God comments on itself. It explains itself. Any apparent contradictions can be explained. The Word of God is accurate. And some people think that that's foolish. I tell you what, I believe it's foolish for you not to believe that. That's a philosophy that I've got. And some people say, well, that's just putting your head in the sand. No, you're the one with your head in the sand. There's people today that just act like this really is nothing. It's just a, a piece of paper and there's nothing to it. And they act like there's no, there's no big deal. They don't read it. They don't study it. They don't base their life on it. You know what? That is absolute ignorance. This book has changed the human race more than any other book. You can't compare this book with the Koran or any other book. Because this book has influenced not only Western civilization, not only the United States, but I mean the world more than any other book. And for a person to claim to be an intellectual and you're a free thinker and you're trying to be objective and you don't want to be prejudiced by just the Bible and religious concept, so you're going to approach things and try and figure things out on your own. And for you to ignore the book that has shaped history more than anything else, There is no other book that even comes close to comparing with this. And for you to say that you're going to be objective and then to shut off and not even read and not even take into account the book that has transformed the world, that is intellectual dishonesty. The Bible says that a man who claims that there is no God is a fool. And I tell you what, a man who is not going by even considering this You know, I could understand to a degree debating some of the things within it, but for people to just push it aside and say, all right, we aren't going to go by the Bible. We just want to deal with facts. That is intellectual dishonesty. The Bible is facts. The Bible is God speaking to us. I'm telling you, God's Word works. You will never go into history and find somebody who really loved God, who succeeded and had victory and success in their life, or you look in the current day uh, realm and you find anybody who is really succeeding and successful and being a blessing to other people and their life is counting, and I guarantee you every one of them 
will believe that the Bible is God speaking directly to us. People that reject the Bible get off into all of this weirdness and they may look good for a brief period of time, but their life is a mess. They go through all these problems and stuff. You can't find anybody who is truly successful in modeling victory in their life the way Jesus did that does not believe in the infallibility, the accuracy, the inspiration of God's Word. There's got to be a relationship there. Satan came against God's Word when he came against Eve, and he's coming against it. And if you don't adhere to these uh, truths that I'm putting forth, if you don't have the philosophy that this is God-breathed and God-inspired, that's the very reason that you're failing. Like, for instance, John G. Lake used to say that no sickness, no disease can touch my body and live, and it came to pass, and he proved it scientifically. You know what? That's the way that I see myself. No sickness, no germ, no fungi, no nothing can come against my body and live because I have the power of God living on the inside of me. Now see, there's a lot of people that believe God can heal that have never seen themselves well. They don't see themselves a victor in that area. And so their overriding philosophy is one of defeat and negativism. You've got to take truths from God's Word and let them sink down until it changes the way you see yourself. The very first thing that Satan did was come against the Word of God and says, Has God said? He challenged the Word of God. And it's the same with you and me. As long as we stay, our emotions, our decisions, our attitudes, our philosophy is founded on the Word of God, then according to the way you think, that's the way your life is going to go. If all you did was think spiritually minded, all you'd get is life and peace. That's what Romans 8, 6 says. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. John 6, 63 says, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So to be spiritually minded is to be word minded. If you were to think only and act only in accordance with the Word of God, Satan couldn't get you. So the very first thing he had to do with Adam and Eve is get them off of the Word, get them to questioning and doubting God's Word. And this is exactly what has happened today. There's a lot of people apologetic, ashamed of the Word of God. They don't believe it's up to date. We've had political figures... uh, educational figures, leaders, entertainers, people who just, I mean, they defy the Word of God and act like you're crazy if you believe in these standards. Well, I'm not crazy. I believe in this and it's changed my life. And you can sit there and criticize if you want to, but I've seen my son raised from the dead. Miracles happen and great things happen because of my faith in the Word of God. Man, I'm not ashamed of it. I I believe that this is God speaking directly to me. And you know, this is one of the things that I began to make a point of yesterday. I believe that the reason that Satan came to Eve first instead of Adam, because it says here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, at the very end of verse 6, it says that she gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Adam and Eve were both standing there. It's only Eve that we get this dialogue between her and the serpent about whether God's word was true or not. But Adam was standing there. Why didn't the serpent go to Adam? I believe the answer to that is because God gave the command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to Adam before Eve was created. And then Adam relayed that command to Eve because she had knowledge of it here. But 
I believe the reason Satan came to Eve is because a person who receives the command second hand is more likely to doubt it. I don't know if you've ever played that game that we used to call it gossip. I'm sure it's been called other things. But you have like, say, ten people in a circle. And so one person whispers something to the next person. And then that person has to turn around and whisper it to the next. And you go all the way around and you come back to the original person. And I guarantee you, if you had ten people in a circle, it would be nearly impossible to get that same statement repeated accurately all the way around and come back and be exactly the same as what it originated. People tend to add, subtract, to do this and that. And as things are passed along, the potential for error increases dramatically. And so because of that, a person who hears something secondhand is going to be more prone to think, well, was it really presented to me correctly? You know, I didn't hear the Lord actually say this to Adam. I wonder if he embellished it or took away from it. That's the reason I believe that Satan came to Eve. Some people have taught it's because women are inferior. They aren't as smart as men. I've heard all these kind of things taught. I don't believe that that's what it's about at all. I believe it was the fact that the Word of God was second-hand information to Eve. Adam heard it directly from God. But Eve heard it from Adam And she was more prone to doubt it. And I tell you, this is one of the great lessons that you've got to get. If you want the Christian philosophy, if you want to get your thinking, your attitude, your paradigm lined up, then the thing that you've got to do is instead of believing something because mama said it, daddy said it, the pastor said it, it's what's going on in society, you've got to go to the Word of God and you've got to make these words personal to you. Now, I don't know how to completely communicate this, but I can give you a testimony that prior to my personal encounter with the Lord on March the 23rd, 1968, I was born again. I got born again at eight years of age. And I truly was born again. I believe it. But I read the Bible with religious eyes, religious understanding. Jesus said that the traditions and doctrines of man make the Word of God of none effect. And I was brought up in a religious tradition that I filtered everything through that. And the Word just literally, I'm sure it impacted me to a degree, but it didn't have its full impact on me because of my religious training. But on March the 23rd, 1968, God rang my bell. God got my attention. I I had God speak to me personally and communicate some things with me. And the result of that encounter was that from that time on, every time I opened the Bible, it wasn't me just reading words on a page. It wasn't me reading something about God. It wasn't just with my brain. But when I'd read the Bible, God would speak to me, not in an audible voice, but He would speak to me in my heart. You know, I don't know how to get that across, but I was 18 years old when I had this experience with the Lord. Prior to that time, I had lived long enough that I knew how I thought. I knew the way I thought. I was familiar with my own thoughts. And all of a sudden, I'd open up the Bible and thoughts were coming to me that were out in the left field, totally different than what I'd ever thought before. I mean, totally different. And I knew it lined up with the Word of God. I was reading the Bible and God was giving me revelation. I was seeing things that I'd never seen, that I'd never heard anybody else say. 
and yet they were true and they were working. It was God speaking to me. And you know what, I, what I'm trying to describe is that prior to that time, I read the Bible. If you would have quoted a scripture, I probably could have recognized it and said that was Jesus talking or that was Paul talking or that was Peter talking. I could have given you details and specifics, but it wasn't God that spoke to me through those scriptures. They were just kind of an intellectual thing. But after that time, the Word of God became mine personally. God began to speak directly to me. For instance, there's a scripture over in uh, John chapter 15. I believe it's verse 16. It says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he may give it unto you. Now, I'd read that verse before. But you know what? There was a time, and I'm not going to take time on our television program to tell you the instance, but it was dramatic. It was a really, really dramatic experience that I had where all of a sudden I was facing a decision that I had to make, and that verse just came back to me loud and clear. It was God speaking to me. I acted on it. It changed my life. I've never been the same. See, that verse is mine. I don't say, well, Jesus said to his disciples. No, Jesus said that to me. That's mine personally. And because it's mine now, that's a defense. And that is something that keeps me from being deceived by Satan in that area. And it's the same thing. Until you take God's word and make it personal to you, then you aren't really in a strong position to be able to resist the devil. You've got to believe God's Word. And you can't just say you believe it. You've got to study it. And you've got to let it become first person to you. Oh, There's so many things. I mean, there are thousands, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of scriptures that God has spoken directly to me. I remember the night that God woke me up in the middle of the night and I went into the other room and I was saying, God, what was going on? And the Lord, I mean, just burned into my heart. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, and then Jeremiah 5, 14. And he called me to be a prophet unto the nations and spoke things to me. And just like Jeremiah said, Ah, Lord, God, I'm a child. I cannot speak. That's the way I felt. I felt, God, I can't do this. And the next verse says, Say not, I'm a child, for you shall go to all of the people that I send you, and you shall speak my words. Then Jeremiah 5, 14, Because you speak this word... I'll make my word in your mouth fire, and the people would, and it shall devour them. Now see, some people will say, well, those were scriptures that were written three, 4,000 years ago to Jeremiah. Well, I don't deny that, but you know what? God spoke them to me. God touched me. That's real to me. And some of you think, I think you're weird. Well, I think you're weird. Because you aren't taking God's word and making it personal. I tell you, to be real honest, there's most Christians that say, yes, the Bible is God's Word, but they don't trust it like that. They don't take the Word of God. They haven't made it personal. When the Bible says, when Jesus said, that the works that I do, you will do also, and greater works than these shall you do, because I go unto my Father. The average Christian doesn't truly believe that. You may believe that Jesus said it, and you may believe that it was true for the early first century uh, church, but... You know, miracles have passed away. Those things don't happen today. That's not true. And that's the reason it's not working for you is because you haven't mixed the Word with faith. 
Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2 says, The word preached unto them did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You have to mix the word of God with faith. It has, this has to be God's word to you. And I know that there are some people, and you're thinking, but you can't trust the word. It, you know, it's been translated and there's mistakes in the translations and you just can't be that emphatic about it. You know what, if I had more time, I could go into more detail. Uh, actually, there's other people who've done a better job defending the authority of the scriptures than what I could do here. You know, I'm more of, I take the principles of God's word and teach them and I believe them and I see a lot of great things happen. But there's other people that have gone into history. They've gone into other documents. I've read these things enough that I am absolutely convinced that the word of God is accurate and infallible, but I'm not really qualified to go into all of these other sources. You know, the Dead Sea Scrolls that they discovered back in, I think it was the late 50s or the 60s, uh, these were totally brand new manuscripts. You know, I, I don't want to get too detailed because, first of all, I'm not knowledgeable enough to do all this correctly. But, like, say, for instance, here are the original documents that the uh, Bible was written in. And then there's copies along the way. Well, the copies that our current Bible are based on are like fourth, fifth, sixth, maybe tenth generation. They aren't the original manuscripts. Matter of fact, we don't even have the original Hebrew text. We have other texts, uh, the Septuagint and others that those things were based from. So actually, we are basing our Bible upon a translation, not upon the original text. Well, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls were closer to the original text than the copies that our current Bible was translated from. Now, the, reason, the significance of this is that if there were all of these mistakes, all of these errors, and so therefore we can't truly trust the copy that we have because after all, it's not the original. We are basing it on 10th generation copies or whatever. And if that argument was true, well, then these Dead Sea Scrolls that predate any of the uh, copies that our Bible was based on, it should show up all of these discrepancies. And again, I forget the exact particulars. There's other people. For instance, uh, one of the books that I read was by Josh McDowell. I think it's uh, entitled Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And he goes through the apologetics about the authority of the Scripture. And there's many other books that you could get that would verify this. But I've read about this. And uh, those Dead Sea Scrolls that were supposed to be closer to the original copies, like in the book of Isaiah. Can you imagine how many words are in the book of Isaiah? I think there's 66 chapters in it. There are thousands, maybe tens of thousands of words. And out of all of those words, there's something like only a hundred and something different characters. And it was just like a slip of the pen or something like that. The context of the uh, statement uh, renders it clear that it was a copyist mistake in those records but there was not any significant difference from these Dead Sea Scrolls that predated the uh, manuscripts that we use for our copy in hundreds of years. There wasn't any significant difference. Now compare that with, for instance, the Iliad, 
which was written by Homer. That is the copy of an ancient manuscript that has more copies of that made than any other ancient manuscript. There are hundreds of those things that exist. And in those, the differences in those copies are significant. I mean, entire paragraphs different, words different, meanings different, huge differences. You know why? Because there wasn't a divine power of God inspiring people and keeping the translation accurate, etc. All I'm saying all of this to say that those people who say, well, the original Bible might have been actually God speaking, but we've lost it in the translation. You can't depend upon it because of all these things. They're factoring out the fact that God inspired it and God has also inspired the uh, translation and the uh, propagation of that. And to prove that, you can't see any of these other ancient manuscripts that have been copied out that people would die and give their life for. But Tyndale and a number of different people literally were uh, killed because of their work in translating the scriptures. And they were so meticulous. They did it with their heart. They were inspired by God. And all of these things factor together to say that, yes, you can trust that the translations we use are inspired by God. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but when Jesus quoted Scripture, did you know Jesus did not quote the original manuscripts? The Bible that was in use during the time that Jesus was here on the earth was what we call the Septuagint. It was a Greek translation of the Hebrew text that was written by Moses and other people. And so Jesus quoted a translation of the Bible And he yet quoted it as being authoritative and accurate. He didn't say, well, you know, we can't totally depend on this because after all this is a Greek translation. No, he stood on the translation just the same as the original manuscripts. The point that I'm getting across is there's so many things in our modern day that we think we somehow or another are superior and that we can't go back and trust all of these things written. I tell you what, that's wrong. You need to get a philosophy that this is the inspired, infallible Word of God. And it doesn't contradict itself like some people teach. Again, I could get off and try and verify all of these little things. I'm just trying to make this overall point that you need to get to where this is God's Word and you need to personalize it. You need to make it God's direct revelation to you. And if you don't do that, then it's just like not having a nail to hang your shirt on or something like that. You know, when you take it off. If you don't have that, it's just gonna, you're going to fall to the bottom. Things aren't going to work. You need to drive this stake in and say, this is a truth that I hang and support all kinds of other things on. God's Word is God speaking to us. You've got to take it and instead of making it, well, this is what Paul said to the people in Galatians 2,000 years ago, You've got to take it and meditate on it until God speaks it directly to you and you can say, God told me this. This is what the Lord said to me. And some of you don't even have that kind of an approach. And that's the very reason that God's Word isn't releasing its life in you. Before we can fail in any area of our life, we have to step outside of a total trust and dependence in what God's Word had said. You know, if we really believe that God uh, communicated all of His commands and all of the instructions that He gives us in the Word of God, and if we were to just say that it doesn't matter why He said it, 
It doesn't matter any of these other criticisms and objections that people bring against it. This is what God's Word says. That settles it for me. End of discussion. I am not going to do anything that will throw doubt on the Word of God. Now, I know that there are some people who think that that is really uh, stupid. How do we know that this is true? And there is a whole branch of Christianity that's called apologetics, which is a defense of foundational truths. And one of those main things is the integrity of God's Word and the accuracy of it. But there are just so many things. Let me um, get this book over here. This is our Life for Today study Bible. And uh, if you hadn't got one of these, you ought to have it. There is some powerful information in here. But this entire chart right here lists, I believe, 30-something prophecies that were specifically fulfilled at the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is one of the ways that we know that the Bible is inspired by God, that it's not just a book that we can put our faith in it. Because let me just point out a couple of things here. Uh, It says in Psalms chapter 22, if you were to read the whole 22nd Psalm, uh, it is a powerful passage of Scripture that is written about the crucifixion and the agony of the Lord Jesus. It said in verse 1 that Jesus would be forsaken. Of course, we have... Uh, seen that a number of times in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, uh, they both uh, give statements where Jesus cried out and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So there was a direct fulfillment of that. It said that the Messiah would be mocked and ridiculed. Psalms chapter 22, verses 7 and 8. Of course, we know that that came to happen exactly during the crucifixion. It says in Psalms 22:16, says that they pierced my hands and feet. Now, you know, this was written hundreds of years before the Roman form of crucifixion uh, was in uh, uh, being used, and yet it was prophesied, and it came to pass exactly that way in Mark, Luke, and John. It all records that exact same thing happening. In Psalms chapter 22, verse 18, it made a specific mention that they would part his garments and cast lots upon them. Now, this was very clearly fulfilled because they took most of his clothes and tore them into shreds and divided them among people. But when they got to his coat, it was a very expensive type of coat that was woven all the way throughout. It didn't have seams in it. So it was a very expensive, unique type of coat. And because of that, rather than the guards tearing it into pieces, they cast lots for that. Here is a prophecy written hundreds of years before that was fulfilled to the exact detail. And it goes on here. It says, not one of his bones would be broken. Psalms chapter 34, verse 20. And of course, in crucifixion, it was normal that after the person died or looked dead, just to make sure they came along and they broke their bones in their legs so that they could no longer lift themselves up and gasp for air. And that made them suffocate and die quicker. But when Jesus was crucified, they came to him and they broke the bones in the legs of both of the thieves that were crucified with him. But when they got to Jesus, they just went on and didn't break his bones. And it makes specific mention that this was the fulfillment of that prophecy of Psalms chapter 34, verse 20. It says in Psalms chapter 35, verse 11, that he would be falsely accused. That definitely came to pass. It says in Psalms 35:19 that he would be hated without a cause. In other words, he didn't he wasn't uh, guilty of anything. It was unjust totally that came to pass. Psalms chapter 41 verse 9, he would be betrayed by a close associate. 
And, of course, we know that Judas, one of his own disciples, betrayed him. It prophesied his resurrection, Psalms chapter 49, verse 15. There is no way that anybody could have prophesied a resurrection hundreds of years in the future and have done it uh, out of just the flesh. Nobody would even prophesy a resurrection unless they were divinely inspired by God because that cannot be, you know, imitated. It can't be faked in any way. That is a miraculous uh, fulfillment of that scripture, the resurrection of Jesus. In Psalms chapter 68, verse 18, it prophesied his ascension to God's right hand. In Psalms 69, 21, he was given vinegar, vinegar to drink in his thirst. That was fulfilled. Matthew chapter 27, verse 34, also in Mark and John, it records the same thing. It says in Psalms 109, verse 25, that they reviled him and wagged their heads. That's the exact same thing that came to pass hundreds of years later in Matthew chapter 27, verse 39. In Isaiah's prophecy, it says that they would spit in his face. That was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 26, verse 67. It says in Isaiah 50, verse 6, that the Messiah would be scourged. And that definitely came to pass. It says in Isaiah 52, 14, that he lost human appearance by physical mistreatment. And that was fulfilled in, during the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. And on and on and on. Isaiah chapter 53 and 54, many of the prophecies there. He was despised and rejected of man. He bore our sicknesses. He was wounded for our transgressions. Isaiah 53, 9 says he was buried with the rich. And that was fulfilled when uh, Joseph of Arimathea came and got the body of Jesus and put it in the tomb. And on and on and on and on they go. I've only given about half of these 30-something prophecies that were miraculously fulfilled during the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. Now, if you were to take all of the prophecies concerning the birth of Jesus, it specifically said he would be born in Bethlehem. It specifically in, Ma in Daniel chapter 9 talked about the time that Jesus would be born. And on and on, all of these prophecies go. Do you know the probability, or I guess we would call it the chances, of all of these things being spoken hundreds and hundreds of years in the future and then being fulfilled exactly? One of those prophecies being fulfilled would be very hard to do. But you take the hundreds, the thousands of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled perfectly and you know what? That elevates the Bible to a standard that is far beyond just a book. The Bible is not just a book about God. It's not just holy men who wrote their own things. It differs from Buddha, from Confucius, from uh, you know Muhammad, from any of the other religious leaders. It isn't their opinion about God. But the Bible is specifically God inspiring man, breathing through them, and writing down his things, and these prophecies prove it. I believe that the prophecies are one of the greatest indications of the accuracy and the authenticity of the Bible. This isn't a book. It's not like any other book. It says in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word quick means alive. It's living. This isn't just a dead book. This isn't just a historical record about things that happened a long time ago. This is God speaking to us. And if you don't have that foundation in your life, if you don't believe that about the Word of God, then you're going to be susceptible to Satan exactly the same way that Eve was. Eve had heard 
that God gave a command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But it wasn't personal to her. She hadn't put her total trust and confidence in it. And so when this snake began to talk to her and start telling her that, you know why God said that, and throwing you know, doubt on the motive behind God's Word and why He said what He did. She gave into it and she began to doubt the Word of God. She could not have uh, transgressed God's commandment without, first of all, losing her confidence and trust in the Word of God. She had to set that aside. And this is exactly the reason that Satan came and attacked the Word of God. And if you're going to fail in any area of your life, Satan has got to get you to disrespect and discount the Word of God. If you believe that what God's Word says is true, and if you believe that God gave this because He loves us and He wants to teach us the right way, if you just believe that, this would change you. It would keep you from making the mistakes that you make. But I tell you, the vast majority of people that come to me and want prayer for something, or they have a problem and they're wanting my input on it. You know, all I'm doing is just telling them what God's Word says. And also, in the vast majority of these people that come to me, I could truthfully say that the majority of those do not know what God's Word says. They just are ignorant of it. That's a shame. There's no reason for that. When we have a Bible so readily available, you can get free copies of the Bible if you really want it. People have bled and died to get this Bible translated into a language that you can read. And yet the average person doesn't even spend any time studying it. You know, I don't know how to get this point across. It just has to come by revelation. I'm just going to have to depend upon the Holy Spirit to take the words that I'm saying and just make them come alive on the inside of you. I can't convince you. I can't talk you into this. If you already have a philosophy, a system of thought that you don't honor the Word of God and you think it's silly that somebody would really try and base their life on something that was written thousands of years ago and you've discredited it. You may even be one that's spoken against it and made fun of it and talked about the fact that it you know, can't be trusted, it contradicts itself, all of these kind of things. Let me just say this. How can you criticize something that you've never read? And there's many of you that are just adamant that this can't be true, that you can't trust this, and yet you've never read it. Oh, you might have read a few little portions. You might know a Bible story. Maybe you heard somebody talk about David and Goliath. But you haven't studied the Word of God. You haven't read it. Now, there's more to the Word than just reading it through one time. But I would issue a challenge to you today. If you're one of these that has mocked and criticized the Bible, how in the world can you in an honest heart criticize something that you know nothing about? You ought to at least read it. And you'll have to open up... I mean, if you read it with a totally shut mind and force yourself... I, I believe, for one thing, if you were to start reading the Bible even with a closed mind, I believe that God could work with you and that that could produce something positive. But if you'll just open up your heart just a little bit and say, well, maybe what Andrew is saying is true. Maybe I have underrated the Bible. I just need to at least read it before I reject it. If you would just open up your heart that much, you would go to experiencing firsthand God talking to you through this book. You would have it confirmed in your heart that this is God talking to you. Now again, I've got so many things. I've, I've read a lot of things about all of these manuscripts, about the prophecies that have been fulfilled, and there's many factual things 
that I believe verify that this is not just a book, it's a supernatural book and that we can put our faith in. But even beyond that, the number one thing that sells me on the Bible is that when I started reading it, God spoke to me through it. This came alive. It wasn't just human. It has come alive to me. And some of you may think, well, that's subjective. You say that, but how can you prove it? Well, I've taken the scriptures that says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. John chapter 14, verse 12. I've taken that verse. God spoke that to me. And because I started believing this, and God has made it a revelation, I have seen blind eyes open, deaf ears open, people raised from the dead. I've seen the lame walk. I've seen supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit flow through me as I studied on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and saw how it worked in other people. God has done the same thing. I've been able to tell people their names before when I've never seen them and I've called out and told them their names. I've told them what's wrong with them. I've said words to people that there is no human way possible for me to know these things. And you know where all that came from? Through the Word of God. So what I'm saying is somebody who's trying to convince me that, hey, you can't trust the Word. You can't base your life on that. That's not dependable. Well, you're just too late. I've already done it. It's already working. How can you tell a person who's already experienced the things that the Bible says would happen and I've seen them happen? How can you tell me that that's not true and it doesn't work? I'm telling you, you've got an argument and in a test tube, I may not be able to prove it to you. I may never be able to satisfy a person who just doesn't want to believe that the Bible is true. But I'm saying if you would go to the Word yourself and before you throw it away and quit uh, before you discount it as being a standard that we can live by today, you ought to read it yourself. And just open up your heart just a little bit and say, God, if I really should be basing my life on the things said in this book, then I ask you to speak to me. And if you would do that, and just discipline yourself, read it all the way through before you reject it, I guarantee you, it'd change your life. It's true. There's no other book like this. You know, I've written books. I've got Bible commentaries. I've read other people's books that I get blessed by. But there is nothing, nothing, no book, even an inspired book by God that even compares with the Word of God. The Word of God has been established and settled. It says in Psalms 138 verse 2 that God has magnified His Word above His name. At the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess is what it says in Philippians chapter 2. And even above the name of Jesus is His Word. It says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 that He upholds all things by the Word of His power. If God was to ever break His Word, if any truth in this Bible ceased to be true, if He ever broke His promise to one single person, the whole universe would self-destruct because it is held together by the integrity of His Word. Jesus said that heaven and earth is going to pass away, but His words will never pass away. The Word of God is going to be true even in eternity, even after the end of this physical world and the beginning of eternity. The Word of God is forever settled. The Word of God has been around hundreds, thousands of years. It's been persecuted as no other document ever has. People have tried to stomp it out to eradicate it. During the Enlightenment, the the famous French atheist Voltaire 
swore that within a hundred years of his death that the Bible would be eradicated. It would be extinct. He believed that he was conclusively proving that Christianity was foolish. And yet less than 25 years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society purchased Voltaire's house, used his printing press, and started printing editions of the Bible in his own house on his own printing press. And the Bible outlasted Voltaire and all of his ideas. It's been burned. It's been banned. It's had everything possible happen to it, and yet the Bible survives. No other book has ever been able to do that. I guarantee you, if you tried to stamp out any other work of uh, literature, you could eradicate the thing. But the Bible has a supernatural uh, power behind it. It's God. God communicated this, not just to the original people, but He communicated it and He preserves it. And people have died and shed their blood to provide you with the translation of it. The Word of God is the foundation of everything. The foundation of all of your philosophy, way of thinking as a Christian needs to be that God's Word is His uh, ultimate instruction unto us. Man, if I had time, I could go into so many things where Peter said that the Word of God is a sure, more, it's a more sure word of prophecy than an audible voice from God or a visible manifestation. If you were to see an angel or anything else, and if it contradicts the Word of God, let them be accursed, is what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1. If an angel or anybody says anything contrary to this Word, let him be accursed. There is no visual representation, no miraculous manifestation, anything that supersedes God's Word. This is the greatest revelation that God has ever given us outside of the appearing of His own physical Son here on this earth. And even Jesus was called the Word of God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And this written record is a perfect parallel to the Lord Jesus. It represents Him perfectly. I tell you, until you get to a place to where you trust God's Word explicitly, then your philosophy, your way of thinking is never going to work. I tell you, if you claim to be a believer and if you don't know God's Word inside and out, you're making a major, major mistake. You've got to know God's Word. You've got to believe it and put it first place in your life.